Welcome to our rebranded podcast, flat out with myself, Jishnu. Hello. And myself, Max. And today we'll be going through the Dutch Grand Prix. Wait, what about the Belgian one? The Belgian Grand Prix? We don't talk about that. What do you mean? We had George Russell's first podium. We had Verstappen's win on the unofficial home Grand Prix. Why do we not talk about it? Yeah, like... That's literally about it. Uh, and yeah, I heard it was right. just raining, that's all. Yeah, well, let's move on to the Dutch Grand Prix then. It's the newest addition to the Formula 1 calendar, isn't it? And what a track it was. Hanel, why don't you tell us a bit about it? Uh, yeah, you're very right. It is the newest addition to this year's uh, calendar. But, you know, F1 isn't really new to it. Uh, there, have been a lot of, there has been a lot of racing here in the past. But the last race that occurred here was 1985. But after the 36-year sabbatical... Formula 1 returned back to the Netherlands and uh, to race here at Zandvoort. And I have to say, the fans did not disappoint. Look at them, you know, throughout you know, throughout free practice, throughout qualifying and throughout the race. Every Everyone who was there was living their life, you know. I think these two, like both the Belgian Grand Prix and the um, Dutch Grand Prix have had great fans. But anyways, let's talk more about the track itself. Uh, it was a fairly short track with a, a like lap times about 1 minute and 10 seconds and the quickest. And there were 14 corners, out of which 10 were right turns and 4 were left, which is reminiscent of NASCAR with only left corners. Uh, I think one of the most interesting uh, aspects of this track was that the track actually featured two banked corners. Uh, for those of you who don't know what banked corners means, it means that the tracks actually are at an angle and they are inclined upwards and that actually helps the car corner at a faster speed, but more on that later. So turns 3, which is the Hugenholtz corner, and turns 13 slash 14, which are the Nameless corner and the Airy Lewin Dyke corner, are actually banked, with turn, turn 3 being 19 degrees and turn 3 and 4 being 18. I think it was a great, great track and uh, the banking actually provided quite a bit of action because it allowed overtaking on the outside as well as the inside. So with this banked track, you know, at, at different angles, like how does it affect the, the cars? What makes it different from other tracks then? That's a very good question, Max. So, you know, let's take a second and let's dive into the technical aspects of the car. Uh, on a normal road, uh, on a normal flat surface, when your car is going straight and when it's t- cornering, all of the cornering force is actually, you know, provided by the friction between the wheel and the surface. However, when it comes to when it comes to banking, there's an additional force which allows the cars to turn, which is called centripetal force. Now, centripetal force is actually dependent on the downforce that a car, uh, that a Formula One car creates when it's moving through the air. Uh, if we di- if you were to look at a free body diagram, uh, we'll insert it over here for those of you who are wondering as well. Um, you will see that there is actually an angle created between the car and uh, the normal of the uh, reaction force. And this is actually the centripetal force that we're talking about over here, pointing towards the center of a circle. Uh, So because there's an additional centripetal force, we'll see that the force for the cornering increases. uh, With this, uh, the cars can actually travel with a lot more speed into a corner. So now if you were to plug these uh, increased values for force and uh, velocity into the formula F equals to mv square over r, we'll see that the radius for the turn actually also increases. Uh, This means that uh, the cars that are going on the outside 
will actually be able to travel faster than the cars that are going on the inside of the bank. Uh, and that is how these cars are actually able to overtake on the outside. However, you know, being a banked corner doesn't mean that only over, like the only overtaking that happens is on the outside. Because if you're a good driver, then you can also overtake on the inside if you're able to balance between braking and accelerating. Yeah, and actually, wait. Apart from all these technical jargon and fancy gobbledygook, uh, wasn't it just so lovely to see these F1 cars turn at such sharp angles and make these brilliant overtakes? Yeah, indeed, it was. So, you know. After all, what Henry has mentioned, if you guys still couldn't understand it, you know, basically it just meant that um, with the bank corner, uh, drivers can actually take a wider line at a faster speed. And so that's why we actually saw so many overtakes that were done on the outside. Uh, not just on one driver, not just on one occasion, but on a few occasions, which makes the race really interesting because it's not something that we always see whereby drivers take uh, overtake on the outside line, right? Normally they, they do it on the inside line. Um, that's that's the norm in, in racing that we normally see. So yeah, that was the analysis of the Zenvot circuit, you know, being such a, a new uh, circuit. In fact, yeah, a new one in the F1 calendar. There were definitely a lot of uh, shenanigans going around throughout the race weekend. Yeah, and I mean, starting right from the first practice sessions, we were seeing retirements from Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, Carlos Sainz even had a big crash, and just drivers were just going off left, right, and center, and... Some even had engine retirements and engine failures and all those things. So it was really interesting to see, you know, how these cars were handling, and not just the cars, but also the drivers, you know, were handling and adapting to the new track on the calendar. But uh, let's start with qualifying, maybe. That's where a lot of the action happened, right? Yeah, qualifying actually was where we saw the one of the most actions actually throughout the race weekend. So uh, as we've seen in, both, in, in qualifying, uh, both Williams actually crashed out. Because and both drivers actually mentioned that they were struggling in the windy conditions uh, in this part of the year in, in Netherlands. And they both kind of pushed too hard a bit, so they lost control. Uh, fortunately, George Russell managed to you know uh, nurse his car back to the pits and inspect for damage, which fortunately there wasn't much of. But unfortunately, the same can't be said for uh, Latifi, who had a massive shunt uh, around a corner. Yeah, and they had to actually retire him and, you know... Um, repair his car to get ready for the race. And both crashes actually led to red flags, right? Yeah, both crashes did lead to red flags, which was a massive annoyance uh, to many drivers, you know, especially Verstappen, who was the obvious home crowd there. You know, it disrupted many of the drivers' um, uh, flying laps, so they couldn't really set the, the best qualifying time that they could. And... Yeah, uh, talk, speaking about the um, disruptions, you know, we had a very close shift, a close call between uh, Vettel and Mazepin. I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. saw where Mazepin actually blocked Sebastian Vettel, who was on his flying lap. And because of that, um, I think, yeah, he got a penalty for blocking away and actually causing a grave danger, not just to himself and Vettel, but also to the other drivers who were around him at that time. Yep, and actually it was Mazepin and Mick Schumacher, right, on the incident. And I think Mick Schumacher actually went like in the press afterwards to say, oh, Vettel was the last person I would have wanted to block. And it just happened that, you know, they were both fighting for position in that tricky last corner, trying to get their cleanest lap in. And uh, another driver that actually lost out was uh, Lando Norris, right? You know? Yeah, he was. Uh, I felt very sad for him because of, you know, as Max mentioned, the two Williams crashing out. First, we had George Russell, who brought up the first red flag, uh, after which Lando Norris came out for his outlap. And while that was happening, 
Latifi crashed out and brought out the second red flag, which meant that Norris couldn't improve on his time and he was knocked out along with Perez, you know, in a similar case in Q1. So these were like proper midfielder battles, the top five in the uh, championship for drivers. Uh, knocked out because of just, you know, coming out too late. So there were some str- strategical errors there from the teams, I guess. Mm, yeah, for sure. And, you know, all the drama in free practice and in qualifying, they, they led us to believe that, you know, the race was going to be one of the craziest races of the season. We were going to see red flags and safety cars and just total chaos. But that so did not happen. Yeah, it, it didn't really happen at all. I mean, we even saw like Giovinazzi qualifying P7, you know, equaled his best qualifying start. But yet, uh, we couldn't see him in the points, did we? So, why not, just why don't you run us through what happened during the race? Yeah, so lap one, turn one, nothing much really happened. Just everyone got a clean start. I think Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton especially got really good starts off the line. And compared to Valtteri Bottas, they were just miles ahead going into turn one. And, uh, Max Verstappen, with his superior pace through the first sector of the Zenwatt track, managed to just fly off into the distance. And I think that was about it for the rest of the race between the two drivers at the front. And uh, there was some action further behind. I think Alonso was, you know, causing a bit of some drama and some chaos when he was going off track and throwing up some dirt. And he made some really fast moves, you know, back onto the track, almost knocking off George Russell's front wing. And... Uh, there was this brilliant move that he did around the outside on turn three, which was nice to see. And, uh, <laughs> well, apart from that, you know, there wasn't really much going on for the rest of the race. It was supposed to be a strategic, uh, race that we were want that it was supposed to be a race where we are supposed to focus on strategy. And, you know, Mercedes with two drivers at the front as compared to Red Bull was supposed to, you know, play their cards right and try and make some places on Max Verstappen. But none of that happened. You know, none of the strategy came to any. Uh, positive outcomes for them. Yeah, because um, as we saw, every time Mercedes put off a, a strategy to try and uh, get a step ahead of Red Bull, you know, Red Bull reacted in exactly the same way. Every time Hamilton pitted, uh, Verstappen would pit as well for a fresh set of tires, and they try to use Bottas as a uh, wingman, you know, to try and cover Max off. But you know, obviously that didn't work. You know, Bottas was on much over the tires and. Max just literally breezed past Bottas easily, no kick at all. And yeah, so strategy didn't play out well, that well for Mercedes, but it really was a fantastic weekend for Red Bull in terms of strategy. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the devil's advocate here, but I wouldn't really say that Max breezed past uh, um, Bottas because I think Bottas did a decent as job in um, blocking uh, Verstappen a bit because he did, you know, allow uh, Hamilton to catch up to him. And I think for about a lap or a lap and a half, Verstappen was stuck behind Bottas. And when he did overtake finally, he was on rubber ground. So I guess it was, uh, it, it did help Hamilton a bit because then uh, after um, Hamilton, sorry, after Verstappen overtook uh, Bottas, Hamilton was able to catch up and, you know, he was in the DRS zone for a bit. But then again, um, I think there was a huge strategical, uh, a huge strategical error from Mercedes in putting uh, Hamilton on the mediums and expecting him to go all the way to the end. You know, the thirty odd laps, and I think it was a masterclass from Red Bull calling their bluff and uh, then going on to hards uh, during I think it was lap forty four. So I think they did learn from uh, I think it was a British Grand Prix where they did take their time to pit and I think they lost the lead in the end. 
Um, so I think good on them. Yeah, and just a sec. Did you say Bottas did a decent ass job? Uh yeah. Why? All right. Just I didn't know we were using this kind of language in our podcast. But uh, uh, let's move on very quickly. So Bottas, I think one of the biggest events was you know Bottas' fastest lap at the end of the race where he got pitted and then he didn't know he was going to do the fastest lap and there was a whole lot of confusion over there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, even Valtteri called him. No, not Valtteri. James, no, James called him. Yeah, uh, as soon as we heard the radio, we all knew what was going to happen. Uh, yeah. Valtteri is yeah. James. Yeah, Valtteri is James. He immediately got called by the team to you know stop the, the, the flying lap to steal the fastest lap. Um, in all honesty, I think, you know, Bottas, uh, he thought that he was on a fresh set of tires and the team want, just wanted them to steal the fastest lap away from Verstappen. But I guess it wasn't the case because um, they had Hamilton um, in mind. Hamilton was their priority. You know, they wanted to snatch as much points as possible for him. And that's why they actually pit Hamilton instead. And then he went on to get the fastest lap in the end. Yeah, honestly, I still don't understand why they decided to pit Bottas because there really was like three laps away from the end, there really wasn't a need to. I mean, I know I was complaining about vibrations, but I wouldn't call it precautionary. Yeah, it, it wasn't anything severe or, or whatsoever. And, and it kind of felt like false hope for Bottas, you know, giving him that fresh set only to be told that, oh no, you're not going for the fastest lap. So I guess kind of a big, not really a big disappointment, but uh, yeah, general disappointment for Bottas, knowing that he could have um, gotten an extra point, but he was denied by his team. And uh, speaking of but... um, teams, uh, yeah, we do. As we are recording right now, we've just received notifications that uh, there might, there will be uh, some team reshuffling um, for the next uh, F1 season, 2022 season. So let's see what this notification is then. Yep, I was about to say, because... Uh... I interrupted by saying but because I literally saw my phone flash up and it said that uh, there was a, a post from F1 and when I went to see it, lo and behold, it was Bottas moving to Alfa Romeo. What a great coincidence. <laughs> I I think it is. I mean, the cards, we've, I guess, played the cards right by recording this so late at night for us. But yeah, um, okay, wait. So can I just put a pause there then? Does this mean that because Bottas already knew that he is going to be signed for Alfa Romeo, he didn't give a damn. I have minded my language this time. He didn't give a damn about uh, listening to team orders. So, because he was warned twice before he had two purple sectors. And he did ask why they be pit if it wasn't for the fastest lap. So I think Bottas is trying to go on a rebellious streak now, and I hope he carries it on to us throughout the year, because it will be fun to watch. Yeah, and well, uh, reprising my role as a Mercedes defendant, I think if you listen to the actual full radio exchange, uh, Bottas was selling the two faster sectors. You know, he went purple in sector one and sector two. And then I think the Valtteri's James, please about your fastest lap radio message came on. And uh, J- uh, Valtteri just replied, oh, I was just having some fun. And uh, I think that was hilarious for him to like say that, say that because, you know, it's, it's kind of signifying that, you know, maybe the contract is signed with Alfa Romeo already. And yeah, it was really interesting. And uh, I think if you look at the timings also, it's quite clear that Bottas didn't intentionally go and set the fastest lap because he was nearly like two seconds slower than Lewis Hamilton's fastest lap on the final lap. So yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, you know, it sent the driver market rumors into overdrive. And well, I think it's clearly been confirmed now that uh, Bottas is going to Alfa Romeo. And what does this mean for yeah. the rest of the drivers on the grid, you know, especially George Russell? 
Mm-hmm. So let's see. Um, Kimi Raikkonen announced uh, this week. Well, last week. George Russell. Then he started the team. Fine. <laughs> okay. Well, so let's see. <laughs> George Russell. So that means if since Kimi has retired and Bottas is going into Alpha Romeo, that means Russell will most likely go to Mercedes. And that leaves an empty seat at Williams then. So who will it be for? Which will be filled by Alex Albon. Oh. Also, can I just say that I did some detective work here and I found out that Alex Albon's girlfriend only follows George Russell and Williams. And I think that's because George Russell is leaving Williams to give Alex Albon a seat. And also, I did some more detective work. You know, I put on my detective cap and I was uh, looking at a... Uh, interview that uh, Toto Wolf did when he was talking about the empty seat at Williams and he said that there's an empty seat at Alfa Romeo which we knew because you know Raikkonen is leaving and at Williams so as of you know that was Thursday so as of Thursday there was actually no empty seat at Williams but I think he did accidentally you know confirm that George Russell's will be moving to Mercedes yeah and I think it all started with you know, the press asking questions about Albon's future and I think Horner, Christian Horner also mentioned that, you know, he was hoping that uh, Mercedes don't deny Albon the opportunity to return to F1. And uh, I thought that was, that was a bit, you know, strange coming from Christian Horner, the guy who actually robbed Alex Albon of his opportunity in F1 after firing him. Uh, but it was interesting and uh, it's also going to be the first time, you know, if Albon does actually go to uh, Williams, it's going to be the first time that Rebo actually loan out a driver to another team since they did Carlos signs in 2017 to Renault. And, uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Albon is going to continue and stay in the Red Bull driver program or is he going to, you know, leave and uh, try out other stuff, you know, like Mercedes want him to. Because obviously Mercedes don't want to have, you know, a Red Bull driver in their race seat, you know, driving their Mercedes engine while still being, you know, a Red Bull driver. So I think it's really fair that, you know, Total Wolf expects Alex Albon to leave from the Red Bull driver program if he wants to join Williams. But uh, Alex Albon is not the only driver in contention for that uh, Williams seat, right? Yeah, uh, Alex Albon definitely isn't the only one. Uh, we have Nick DeVries and an ex, another ex-F1 driver, Stoffel Van Dorn. Uh, they both recently won the Formula E Grand Prix. And this is actually um, an opportunity for them to come into Formula 1. Um, even... Toto Wolf mentioned that, you know, they might have plans to actually bring them over. So we'll see actually um, what the outcome of this, uh, you know, team reshufflement, how will it turn out? Yeah, and I know I'm a bit hopeful, but, you know, I am hoping that Hulkenberg is also thrown into the mix because let's be honest, last year when you did return, he was so good, you know, and I hope that he is, he does, you know, get a chance to race in F1 again. And even if it's at Williams, I think, it will still be in F1, so I can't, I can't wait to see who it will, who is going to be, you know, filling up that empty seat at Williams for now. Is it going to be someone new, someone we know? Exciting times. Yeah, I mean, Nico Hulkenberg, one of the drivers that I feel definitely deserves a podium, but, you know, didn't even have an opportunity to get a podium in his... Uh, I mean, he had an opportunity, but he just, you know, the cards didn't... The cards weren't right, and, you know, he just didn't get the podium throughout his whole 200-plus races career. And, uh... Yeah, so if you're looking at the Williams seat, there are plenty of people in contention, you know, ranging from uh, junior drivers to Formula E champions to, you know, ex-F1 drivers like Alex Albon and Nico Hulkenberg. So that's definitely interesting. But here's another, you know, interesting thing. 
if you look at the comments on Aston Martin's Instagram post, the Aston Martin F1 team, of course, uh, you, you might see that, like, you know, some people are commenting about why is Aston Martin letting go of Sebastian Vettel? And, well, nothing has been confirmed as of yet, but there seems to be a lot of rumours about, you know, Aston Martin parting ways with Sebastian Vettel uh, and that they're, they're going to be looking for a new driver. And that's a bit strange and also very interesting because if you look at Sebastian Vettel's performances this year in the Aston Martin and... You know, just the way that he's been able to gel in with the team, you wouldn't expect them to, you know, part ways with one another after just one season together. But it is definitely going to be interesting to see what happens over there and whether or not that rumor has any, uh, any what truth to it. Any truth to it. And yeah, that concludes the driver market rumors and you know um, rumors off the track we have for the weekend. And lastly, we've come to our most um, saddening and sad point <laughs> of um, Kimi retiring. You know, after 20 long years in Formula 1, um, he finally announced that he'll be retiring at the end of the season and will not be continuing on. Uh, that he has other plans instead for you know himself and he's interested to go somewhere else. So, uh, Mr. Iceman known for so many things from his stints in Monaco from to his um you know epic race wins to his championship in 2007 and all those drama you know Kimi you'll be really missed by every one of us and if you guys don't know who Kimi is then you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast yeah you probably you definitely True. won't be listening to this podcast at all yeah yeah and you know what I I, I kind of wanted Kimi to retire like a couple of years ago a goal already because you know he's had a great run in Formula 1 he had a great stand at Ferrari and uh, you know it just felt like he was going on for a bit too long and you know there were a lot of young drivers coming up the ranks and I would have loved to see them on track but you know now that Kimi's actually retiring it is a bit sad to see and I'm definitely gonna miss you know all the team radio exchanges those iconic radio exchanges and you know just the Iceman's behaviour himself Kimi you will not have to drink yeah Hey, steering wheel and gloves. Gloves and steering. Steering wheel and gloves, Mark. Hey, steering wheel. Is the drink connected? No, no, the drink is not connected, Kimi. No, but is the drink connected or not? No, Kimi, you will not have the drink. I repeat, you will not have the drink. Okay, Kimi, box, box, if you can hear me. Can you hear me now? No, negative, negative. I can't hear you. But I can hear you, no? Yeah, box, box, if you can hear me. You still don't hear me? No, I can't hear you. You now hear me? No, negative. But you answer still. <laughs> Hilarious. Ah, <laughs> oh, iconic. Iconic, iconic, Kimmy. And you know, yeah, um, more than just the iconic radio... Well, Kimi was also known for his silence on the grid and by the drivers on the grid. So when Vettel and Ricardo were asked what they missed most about Kimi, there was an awkward silence. And that's what Vettel and Ricardo said. That yes, it's the awkward silence that is going to be missed. And yeah, his, his you know, impressive people skills, especially displayed during the PR events, was just too good. And I think that is what we'll all be missing, you know, about Kimi Narukinen when he leaves. Yeah. So he's crossing the finish line in his career in Formula 1. And uh, I think it's time for us to cross our finish line on this podcast. See you guys next time. Bye.